pray. Lord, we do offer our hearts to you. Lord, we thank you that you have gone before us this morning, that even as we have come here to worship you and meet with you, you are here to meet with us. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you. And as we do, and as we open your word together, I pray that you would speak to us in this place. Would you uh, help us to understand more of who you are, uh, the truth of your word? Would you dwell with us here in this place this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, good morning again, and welcome to PBC. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's wonderful to be worshiping with you this morning. You know, as we get started, before we look at our passage for this morning, uh, I want you to think about the last time that you were lost, like really lost, okay? When I think about this, the time that comes to mind for me is about five years ago. We were on a family trip visiting some family in Delaware, and one day I decided that I wanted to go out for a run and find someplace interesting to run. Now, I should have realized that someplace interesting in Delaware is kind of an oxymoron, um, but I gave it a shot anyway, and I found this small state park about 25 minutes away. And so I drove out there and I went on this somewhat interesting run. Unfortunately, at the end of my run, my phone died. And uh, Basically, all I knew is that I had come from the west to the east 25 minutes, and I didn't really know how to get back. And so I'm a little bit worried here. I don't have a phone charger with me, and so I'm thinking, okay, uh, this could get interesting. Thankfully, I realized there was a visitor center at this state park that was still open. It was kind of almost dark out, um, so I wasn't sure if they were going to be open, but they were open. And so I go in there, and what I found inside was something that I had heard about before, but I had never actually seen with my own eyes. It was a paper map, a paper road map. Uh, And someone handed it to me, and uh, they're like, here, maybe this could help. And so I look at this map, uh, and I, I kind of knew, like, generally where my sister-in-law's house is, where we were staying. And so I kind of, okay, I think I came this way. I, th- I think I'm going to be able to get back home. So I take this map and I you know, fold it up about this big so I can, can look at it. And I'm driving and uh, it was ju- the, the sun was like just setting. You know when it's like right above the horizon that's too low for the visor, but you know, it's like blinding you? This is what it's like. So I kind of reach around the car and I find a pair of sunglasses. I put these on. It's helping a little bit. Get into this small town Again, Delaware, all the towns are small towns, but this small little town, and, and I'm trying to like figure out on the map what's the name of this road, and I'm trying to decipher the street signs through this blinding light, and as, as all this is going on, I see flashing lights in the rearview mirror, and I think, oh no, this is not good. So I pull over, and uh, I see this, this female police officer get out of the car and start walking towards my car. And as she's walking towards me, I'm, I'm getting a little bit sheepish because I remember that my sister-in-law's car, who I'm driving, uh, is, has a vanity plate on the back that reads Louis Vuitton. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, uh, this officer doesn't really look like the kind to wear Louis Vuitton, so I'm not sure what she's going to think about this. So she comes up to the window and says, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm thinking, uh, I'm not sure. I didn't think I was speeding. Uh, and she says... I pulled you over for reading your map. And I'm thinking, reading a map? Like, I'm not even looking at my phone. I'm just looking at this, this paper map. And it's like she could read my mind. And she says, you would be way better off if you were looking at your phone because reading a map is way more dangerous. I'm thinking, 
really? Are you serious right now? But I, I don't want to say anything to upset her, so I say, okay. And she goes back to her car um, and uh, comes back to mine and says, I'm writing you a ticket for distracted driving. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Oh, well, bummer. Um, but we'll move on. What can you do? So as, as the police officer is walking back to her squad car, I'm looking in my rearview mirror. And as I look in the rearview mirror, I, I catch a glimpse of myself. And all of a sudden, this whole encounter with this police officer becomes crystal clear. Because what I see in the rearview mirror are my sister-in-law's diamond-studded aviator sunglasses that I had been wearing through this whole encounter. <laughs> and, and, and so now I'm thinking, okay, so this police officer pulls over this 28-year-old guy with a, a small black Kia Forte with a Louis Vuitton license plate, diamond-studded aviator sunglasses, and a California license plate in small-town Delaware. Like, this thing was over before it even started, right? Well, thankfully, I was able to look at the map, uh, find my turn, and make my way back to my sister-in-law's house. I wonder for you, though, what, what's the last time that you were lost? What's the last time where you had this, this feeling of being lost? Maybe you were physically lost. Maybe you were driving around and you weren't sure uh, where you were going or how, how to get to where you needed to be. But I bet for many of us, there's another sense in which we have felt lost, a more existential sense. Right? Where, where we're thinking about our lives and, and we're wondering, where really am I going in life? Right? Where am I headed? We start to, to think about all the time that we're spending uh, at work. We think about uh, the ways that we're uh, you know, investing in relationships around us or, or pouring time into our hobbies or raising our kids or, or whatever it is. And we just start to think, like, am I on the right path? Where, where am I really going? What is all of this for? And there's this kind of existential feeling of lostness that comes up. I wonder if for some of us, maybe you're here this morning because you were feeling that way. You're feeling some of this, this sense of being lost and, and wondering or maybe hoping that at church you might find a solution to that feeling. For others of us, perhaps we've been coming to church for a long time. We've been walking with Jesus for years and years, and yet we're starting to ask for the first time, or maybe honestly it's been years, and we're just... We're just wondering, like, is this all there is? Like, am I really going in the right direction? Am I really doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? I'm just feeling a little bit lost. You know, there, there's two different senses in which we can be lost. We can be lost because we don't know our destination. We don't know where it is that we're trying to go. Or we can be lost because we don't know the direction. Right? We have a sense of where we're trying to get. We're just not really sure how to get there. We're going to look at a passage this morning in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he is going to give us both a, a destination and the directions on how to get there. These are words that Jesus speaks to those of us who are feeling lost. And he has a, a solution for us in the midst of that sense of being lost. So let's look together at John chapter 14. Uh, we've been going through this series where we're looking at these I am statements of Jesus, where he's, he's describing himself for us so that we might come to know him better. A lot of these statements that Jesus has made happen in the context of a conversation. And that's the case here. So in this case, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. He, this is the night that he's going to be betrayed, the night before he's crucified, and he's sitting with his disciples there, and he's trying to get them ready for this time 
that's about to come when, when he's going to be gone, but they're going to still be here. And so he's told them, I'm, I'm going to be leaving. Soon I'm going to be leaving. And the disciples don't really understand what he means. They don't know where he's going, but they're feeling a little bit nervous. They're feeling a little bit anxious. Uh, and so here Jesus speaks these words to them in John 14. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So here, Jesus is, is speaking into the fear that the disciples are feeling, which I think is, is a fear of feeling lost. Right? Jesus, they, they've been walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, following Jesus for the last three years. He says, I'm about to leave. And they're thinking, Jesus, what are we going to do when you're gone? Right? We're, we're going to feel lost. We're not going to know what to do without you here. And so Jesus wants to, to set them up for this. He says, well, first off, just believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, trust me. I want you to trust me. I, I know what I'm doing here. I know it might be scary, I know I'm, I'm going to go away, but I, I want you to, to trust me. And then Jesus goes on to tell them a little bit more about where it is that he's going and what he's going to be doing. So he says, uh, first, in my father's house are many rooms. And when we hear father's house, we think of heaven, right? This is where Jesus is going. He's going to be going to heaven. We know that. The disciples didn't really understand it, but we know that this is where Jesus was headed. And he says, in, in my Father's house in heaven are many rooms, or, or literally many dwellings, many places to live. Jesus is saying, there, there's lots of space in heaven. There's lots of room. There, there's plenty of room for all of us. In the words of Audio Adrenaline, the band, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Anyone remember Audio Adrenaline? Okay, yeah, all the college students are like, man, you are old. Shoot, I know. Um, so they, they have this song called Big, Big House, and they're, they're talking about heaven, and it's based on this passage. They say it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football, a big, big house. It's my father's house, right? They're, they're, they're trying to paint for us a picture of heaven. This is where Jesus said he's going. So I, I want you to think about when you picture heaven, what comes to mind for you? Is it a, a big house, a mansion that you're going to have with a, a big yard with, with real grass, right? Not turf, but like real grass. Like how luxurious would that be? You know, what, what comes to mind when you think of heaven? And this is going to be important because Jesus is, is setting this up as the destination, as the place that, that we ought to be striving after, the place that we want to end up. But if we're going to be compelled to actually seek out this place, we need to understand what, what it is that we're seeking after. We need to have a, con a compelling vision of what heaven is going to be like. So when you think of heaven, what do you imagine that to be like? Or, or maybe even let me step back one step further and say, when you think of salvation, what do you think of? Because not everybody believes in heaven, but everybody believes in, in salvation of some kind. Right? We all sense that we have a problem and that there's some ultimate kind of good outcome that we're looking for. There's some solution to the problem. There's some, sense of, some, some idea of salvation out there. So when you think of salvation, what, what, what do you think of? John Hick is, uh, was one of the most famous philosophers of religion, most influential philosophers of religion from the last century. 
And he actually grew up in an evangelical Christian home. And when he was a young adult, he became a pluralist. He, he studied all of the, the world religions to try to see what they had in common and where they differed. And what John Hick concluded was that all of the various world religions are just culturally conditioned responses to some kind of ultimate reality that's out there. He called it the real, the, the ultimate reality. There's kind of one thing that's true in the absolute sense, and all of these various religions are just kind of cultural responses to whatever this kind of one true ultimate reality is. And, and Hicks' ideas have permeated their way through our culture. Right? Many, many people think about the world and think about religion in this way, that all of the, the various religions are kind of getting at the, the same thing in different kinds of ways. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you think. Maybe that's what you uh, find yourself believing about the world. Well, as John Hick thought about this, he asked the question, well, what then is salvation? And as he looked at these various religions, he, lo- he noticed some, some commonalities in the way that they thought about salvation. And so what he ended up defining salvation as, as he looked at all these religions and what they were doing, and he said, well, salvation is the, the transformation from self-centeredness to reality-centeredness. That it, it's the move from, from being kind of caught up with yourself, thinking that, that you are the center of the universe, that the world re- revolves around you. It's the, the movement from being in that place to recognizing that there, there's something bigger out there and orienting your life around that thing. And he's going to call this salvation. And so he says, well, well, for a Christian, this is giving your life to Jesus. This is believing in God, following Jesus, and, and having him forgive your sins. That's salvation. But if you're a Hindu, salvation is, is just being a good person. It's doing a good thing so that you can pay off uh, your, your, your debt of karma. You can accumulate good karma to replace your bad karma and eventually escape this cycle of reincarnation. And if you're an atheist or a, a secularist, then, then maybe for you, salvation is kind of moving from this place where you're mostly thinking about what you need to thinking about how to, how to maximize pleasure and, and eliminate suffering, not just in your own life, but in the lives of other people as well. Just trying to make the world a better place. As people move from being selfish to, to just trying to make the world a better place, that is their act of salvation. So what do you think of as salvation? What is the, the answer to the problem that we find ourselves in? Whatever that is, that's, that's the destination that you're after. Whatever it is, that solution that you're pursuing, that's the destination that you're seeking after. And Jesus wants to take us from whatever destination we're headed towards, and he wants to reorient us. He wants to give us a new destination, and he calls that destination heaven. So let me ask you again, when you think of heaven, what comes to mind? How do you picture heaven? What do you expect it to be like? Maybe, maybe when you think of heaven, you think about the streets paved with gold, and you think, wow, this is going to be a place of, of luxury and abundance. And you know what? Heaven is going to be a place of abundance. There will be plenty of all that we need, and it's going to be beautiful. But that's not the best thing about heaven. Or maybe when you think of heaven, 
you think that this is going to be a place with, with no more sadness and no more crying, no, no more tears, and no, and no more death. And absolutely, that's going to be the case. There's going to be no sadness. There's going to be no death in heaven. And, and in their place, there'll be peace and security. But peace and security and the joy that comes along with that, those aren't the best things about heaven. Or, or maybe here from John 14, we, we hear this picture of my father's house with many rooms and we think, oh, in, in heaven, there's, there's going to be space, right? And we think of our little postage stamp lots here in the Bay Area with the ADUs, like, you know, pressing up against the fence, trying to cram as many people in as we can. And we think, man, wouldn't it be nice to, to be in a place with a lot of room, with a lot of space, where there's room to, to plant a garden and fresh air to breathe? And you know what? Heaven is going to be a place with lots of space. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be room to plant gardens. There's going to be things growing everywhere and fresh air. But that's not the best thing about heaven. Jesus says, the best thing about heaven, what makes this destination so amazing, what makes it worth pursuing, worth giving your life to, is the fact that I'm going to be there, that that Jesus is going to be there. And this is what he tells his disciples in verse 3. Let's look at it again. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you where? To heaven? That's not what he says. Right? To, to, to a mansion? To a big house? That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to go and I'm preparing this place for you so that, so that I may take you to myself. Why? So that where I am, you may also be. Right? What makes heaven so amazing is that Jesus is going to be there and that we get to spend all of eternity with him. This is the vision, the destination that Jesus wants us to be pursuing. Eternity in his presence, just enjoying him, being with him, marveling at his beauty and his power and his glory, being overwhelmed by his love, being immersed in his grace, all of eternity worshiping God in his presence, looking at him face to face. Jesus says, this, this, is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare this place, a place where I'm gonna be so that you can come and be with me. This is the destination that Jesus has for us. He himself is the destination. It's heaven, but it's great because Jesus is there. So Jesus is, is trying to, to explain this to his disciples Uh, but they're not quite getting it. And in verse four, he makes a statement that's a little bit obscure. He says to his disciples, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, how do do we know where, where you're going? We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is saying, Jesus, I'm not totally sure I get what you're talking about with this place that you're going to prepare. And if I don't understand the destination, how can I possibly know the directions? How can I know how to get there? And then Jesus is going to respond with one of the most beautiful, and for many people today, one of the most off-putting statements in all of the New Testament. This is what he says in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except except through me. I think a lot of times we hear Jesus make this statement and we focus on kind of the last part of it. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what we hear is Jesus saying something like this. 
there's this really great place out there. It's called heaven. You would love it. I mean, it is awesome, right? Here's the thing. It's out there, and, and, and I'm here, and if you want to get there, you're going to have to go through me. And you know what? If you try to sneak in any other way, you try to follow another religion or kind of do it in your own way, yeah, I'm going to send you to hell, right? So you, you got you to come through me if you, want, if you want to get there. And we hear that, and we're like, oh, Jesus, like, it's a little harsh, don't you think? I mean, like, what's, what's the big deal? Like, why can't, why can't we just go another way? Like, Jesus, why do you have to be so, so strict? Why do you got to make such a big deal about this? But that, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying there's this really great thing, this really great place that's out there, and I'm the one that's keeping you from it. You got to go through me. No, he's saying God is the great thing. God is the great thing, and I am God. And so if you want this great thing, you've got to come to me because I'm it. He's saying, I'm the destination, but, but I'm also the directions, right? All, all this stuff that you're looking for, you're looking to your job for this sense of satisfaction. I just want to do something well and be satisfied. And he says, you're not going to find it in your job. You're, you're going to find it in me. You're looking in the wrong place. I just want to have a, a sense of, of being loved and loving someone. And so we look to our relationships and God says, yeah, but they're going to let you down. You're not going to find what you're looking for there. All of these good things in life that we're looking for in all of these different places, Jesus is saying, is right here. I, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's not trying to keep us from these good things. He's trying to invite us in to find what it is that we're really looking for. In The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. What he's getting at is this same idea that Jesus is talking about here. It's not that Jesus is some locked door that's trying to keep people out. Rather, Jesus is saying, man, you're over here. You're looking for all these things. And you know what? If, if you want to look over there, you can do that. You can have that. You can stay there if you want to. But if you really want to find life, if you really want to find love, if you really want to find meaning and purpose, it's over here. It's in me. And he's inviting us in. He's not trying to keep us out. He's inviting us in. About two hours east of Las Vegas on I-15, there's a place called the Virgin River Gorge. Virgin River Gorge is this deep cleft in the rock that has been carved out by the Virgin River. As you're heading east, uh, from, from Las Vegas, you're out in the middle of the desert. It, it's wide open, it's expansive, and it's really boring. And then off to your right emerges these, these cliffs. And, and the highway is kind of coming along the left of it, and you look off to the right and you see these cliffs, and you kind of wonder, like, how am I going to get around this? And pretty soon the highway turns and it's headed right towards the cliff. And you're like, where is this going? But about a mile away from this rock wall, you see a small opening. And it's this gorge that's been carved out by the Virgin River. Now, a few years ago, uh, I was driving on this route, and I'm a little bit claustrophobic. So the idea of like being in a closed space without like a lot of you know clear exit points is like you know a little bit of anxiety there. So I, I see like we're about to drive into this this canyon, this gorge, and uh, I'm wondering. I'm thinking I'm not sure I'm going to like this so much. But we get in there. And you see these rock walls just shooting up for hundreds of feet on either side. And it's beautiful, right? It's, it's amazing. You find yourself in this, this incredibly narrow place. It's just wide enough for the highway and for the river. 
And yet in the midst of this narrowness, there's a beauty. There's, there's a beauty in the narrowness that would not have been there if it was wide open. As you're driving through the desert before this, and as you leave the gorge on the other side and you're back in the desert, it's wide open. There's freedom. You can go wherever you want. You can see as far as you can look, but it's not that beautiful. It's not that fun. And then you come into the narrow place and it's beautiful because of the narrowness. When we hear Jesus say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very narrow thing to say, right? Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's the only place to find forgiveness. He's the only place to find salvation. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no other way. It's narrow. But there is a beauty in the narrowness. There's, there's something that, that's amazing about Jesus and and this path to life that he has opened up for us. And Jesus is trying to invite us in. He's not trying to keep us at arm's length. He's not trying to say, don't you dare try to sneak in somewhere else. He's saying, man, I I am the place you're trying to get, right? God is the one in whom you're going to find all these things that you're looking for. and, and And I'm the way to get there. He's inviting us in to life. So with Jesus... The way is narrow. There, there's a narrowness to Christianity, but there's a beauty in the narrowness. As Jesus talks about himself as the destination that we ought to be after, and as he talks about himself as the directions that we need to take to get there, there's a sense in which the, the destination is eternal, right? One day we will be in heaven with Jesus. But that relationship with Jesus that's so amazing actually starts here and now. That Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is somebody who who is here with us today. And he's not inviting us into something that we get to experience in the future. He's inviting us into something that we get to experience now. So what would it be like to say yes to this invitation from Jesus? What would it it be like to say, Jesus, I I want uh, to be, follow you as the way, the truth, and the life. Well, there's two, two really basic things that we can do if we want to make that decision. The first is to believe. This is what Jesus tells his disciples in verse one that we looked at. He says, believe in me, believe in God, believe also in me. Put your faith in me, trust that I know what I'm doing. Trust that salvation is in me. Trust that I am who I say I am, the way, the truth, and the life. Saying, Give your life to me. Yes, move away from this place of self-centeredness, but when you're moving to something greater, that's me. I'm the one you're looking for. Believe in me. That's the first thing that we can do. We can, we can believe in Jesus. The second thing that we can do is to follow him. Right? Follow in his way. You know, the early Christians, they, they didn't actually call themselves Christians. The earliest Christians, they called themselves followers of the way. Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi. All first century Jewish rabbis had a way. The way of a rabbi was made up of their teachings and their life. They had a a way to live. They had a way to pray. They had a way to fast. They had a way to use your money. They had a way to think about the world. They had a way to relate to God. They had a way to relate to the poor. These rabbis, they had a way. Jesus had a way. His disciples were those who followed in his way. They looked at Jesus to see how he lived his life 
and what he taught them about how they should live their lives. And they said, we want to follow in the way of Jesus. So Jesus, our way, is inviting us into his way. He's saying, you wanna follow me? Here's what it looks like. I have a way. This is how you relate to people. This is how you relate to me. The way of Jesus is found in the gospels, right? We look at the life of Jesus and we, we look at how he interacted with people. We looked at the, at the compassion he had for people, the love that he had for people. We look at uh, what he taught us about how we ought to live, what Jesus says about how we ought to pray, what Jesus says about how we ought to worship, right? Jesus has a lot of very practical things that he teaches us to do in the gospels. And so if we have believed in Jesus and we want to follow in his way, we need, we need to spend time in the gospels. We need to, to try to understand what does this way of Jesus look like so that we too can follow in the way. We can believe in Jesus and we can follow in the way of Jesus. I wanna ask you two important questions here as we wrap up. Two questions that I want you to think about, to think about here, but also to take with you and, and, and think about this week. The first question is, where are you trying to go? Right, this is getting at your destination. Where are you trying to go? Your life is headed in a direction. You have a destination that you are on your way to. Where are you trying to go? Maybe it's to get to a certain place in your career. This is the goal. I want to get here. Maybe it's to have a certain amount of money in the bank. Maybe it's to have a certain house in a certain neighborhood. Maybe it's to have a certain picture of family that you have always wanted. Whatever it is, you, you have a destination that your life is headed for. Where are, you, where are you trying to go? We need to think about that question. And then we need to allow Jesus to redirect that and say, I am the destination. I am where you ought to be trying to get. So where are you trying to go? Think about that. Ponder that with the Lord this week. Second question, how are you trying to get there? How are you trying to get there? Right, you have this, this destination that you're headed for. What are you doing that will allow you to get to where you want to be? And, and maybe you're just trying really hard, right? You're just working really hard at your job, at your relationships, at whatever it is. You're just, you're just working really hard in order to get to where you want to be. Maybe you're just trying to be a good person. You think if, if I'm just a good person, if I do more good than bad, if I treat other people well, that's gonna get me to where I wanna be. What are you doing to try to get to where you want to be? And then as we see that, we again want to let Jesus redirect us and say, this is my way, follow my way. If you wanna get to heaven, if you wanna have the a relationship with me that you can have where you can experience fullness of life, abundant life, this is the way. Follow the way. Jesus is inviting us into that way. I want to ask you to stand uh, as we get ready to, to move back into worship. And as we get ready to, to respond here to, to Jesus, to this, this statement that Jesus makes, his claim to be the way, the truth, and the life, I want us to think about what happens after Jesus makes this statement. See, as Jesus said this, 24 hours later, he was gonna be hanging on the cross. 
And I imagine his disciples who, who were there watching are thinking like, Jesus, what is happening? What's going on? Like you said you were leaving. You said you were going to prepare a place for us and now you're hanging on the cross. Like Jesus, this isn't going according to plan. But remember, Jesus knew this is exactly where he was headed. So as Jesus hung on that cross, he was preparing a place for us because he is the place. He was preparing a way for us, a way for our sins to be forgiven, for our guilt and our shame to be dealt with. He was opening a path for us to experience life. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated the grave. 40 days later, Jesus ascended to heaven where he is still to this day seated at the right hand of the Father. And as he's there, he's preparing a place for us. And he's saying, I want you to come join me. I want you to be with me. I want you to know me. And it's because of that work that Jesus did in his crucifixion, in his resurrection, in his ascension, that he is worthy of our praise. And so as we think about the destination that we find ourselves moving towards and the way that we're trying to take to get there, one of the ways that we can kind of redirect ourselves, if we want to respond to this invitation of Jesus, one of the ways that we can do that is just by worshiping him, by, by saying, Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you have opened uh, the path to freedom. You have given me life. You are the one in whom salvation is found. And so, Lord, we do just want to to give ourselves to you and to to declare you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. Jesus, we want to be with you for all of eternity and we want to be with you here today as we walk on your way. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. Would you receive our praise here?